0: Hey They're all you cryptids. Ed Moore's back, and we've got two more issues of Jack Kirby's The Demon. Two really fun issues, with two very contrasting uh, issues with each one. Uh, the first one is, you know, uh, some kind of Sasquatch-Bigfoot-Werewolf uh, hybrid creature, which is always cool, Kirby monsters. And then the second one has a, a really, really cool uh, debut of a character that Uh, it's a little confusing at first what he actually is and what he's got going on but uh, we will explain so stay tuned because right after a quick break we will be right at it mr kirby why do you think your artwork is so popular
1: my artwork is popular because it connects with the ordinary person and they can understand it very easily and I've always meant it to be so. I've never, uh, I've never confined my art to a particular section of humanity. I, I love people in general, my art reflects it, and that's the way it's always been.
2: Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Bronze Age of Horror Comics, and this is our continuing coverage of Jack Kirby's The Demon from 1972, and that means my buddy Ed Moore is here with me at Teal Productions himself. How are you, Ed?
1: Doing pretty well, sir. How are you?
2: Oh, I am doing fantastic. You know, only my second recording of the new year here, to you know, peek behind the curtain, so I'm trying to get back in the swing of things, but uh, yep, it's, uh, you know, two more issues of The Demon uh, that you and I are going to cover here, right?
1: Yes, sir. hmm. Yeah.
2: We, uh, our last, uh, recording actually that came out was you, I, and Dr. Ange joined us as well because there was that funky little demonic entity. I can't even remember what the crazy name was of that thing, but, uh, we, <laughs> we talked about that and ugly Meg and the iron somebody or other, that crazy guy. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's the, the demon, you know, he's moving on here. We have, uh, two more issues, six and seven, we're going to cover. <clears throat> and, you know, uh, it's going to be, uh, uh, two different uh, contrasting issues here. You know, one is going to have a uh, a cryptid and the other one is going to have a creepy kid. So uh, two uh, two fun issues here, right?
1: Yep. Yeah, very. They're, they're very different. They're similar, but yeah, very different as well. Yeah, it was, it's kind of weird all, all around. Yeah, I can't wait to dive into these. So why don't we do so? So let's start out
2: with uh, The Demon number 6. And this one is a cover dated February 1973, but came out right before Christmas 1972 uh, and, it, of course, it has a cover by the one and only Jack Kirby, uh, inks by Mike Royer, and letters by Gaspar Saladino. So uh, what are your thoughts uh, on the cover here to The Demon Number 6?
1: Well, it, it definitely is Kirby. Um, you can look at it, and, I mean, it, it right away, I, I think you get that from it. Um, he He's still got that weird head cap thing going on there, the way his <laughs> – Horns are drawn the very top of his head. Um, if, if I would have seen this on the shelf, I would have thought that he was going to fight a werewolf for some reason.
0: Mm hmm.
1: Yeah. It, uh, I, I guess just because that's like the only, like, you know, shaggy, furry kind of monster that I can think of as a werewolf, although I'm sure anything can be, you know, furry, shaggy or whatever, but, uh, I still really like the logo, too, the demon, uh, that that it's burning, and you can see the flames uh, wagging as if a wind is blowing across it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah,
2: there's a, some text at the top as well. It says, bolt
1: your windows, lock your doors.
2: It's the night of the howler, uh, which is uh, awesome. I love uh, that. But, yeah, I just – I don't think the colorist, whoever it may be, did the cover any favors here. It's just – It's a little bland. It's a blue background, but everything else is just a little bland. And like you said, yeah, the the monster, and don't get me wrong, I I love, uh, you know, uh, cryptid mythical creature types, Bigfoot, Sasquatch. I love that kind of stuff when I was a little kid, uh, and I still think it's a lot of fun. Some of the movies are, you know, yeah, they're super cheesy, but I love some of them from the 70s that came out. But, yeah, like you said, I just, the way he drew all the hair over this creature, it does. It almost looks more wolfish than it does... You know, Sasquatchy, but uh, you know, maybe he was going for a mix here. Who knows, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it, knowing Kirby, it was probably just intended to be something monstrous, I guess, rather than anything in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're we're gonna see, you know, when we look at the interiors
2: here, uh, once we dive in, that the, this this howler, it, it kind of is a mix of maybe a couple of different things. It's just not like Kirby was just trying to do what he wanted to do. I don't think he was necessarily trying to riff on. A werewolf or a Sasquatch. This creature looks, I don't know, on the splash page that I'm looking at right now, looks more like a you know, really hairy baboon or something. <laughs> but
1: <laughs> um, Yeah, it, it, there, it's a, uh, what is it, like a chimera kind of thing going there, yeah. Yeah, so
2: this is a story entitled The Howler, and uh, it's, of course, a script pencils uh, by Jack Kirby, inks and letters by Mike Royer, Uh, colorist unknown Uh, so you know let's uh, let's just dive right in here so we have this this splash page which i really like well but kirby's still kind of using this deal where you know he uses uh merlin here as the like kind of omnipotent narrator here and uh kind of setting things up and then uh, we do get a really great splash page here i'll I'll hand it to kirby here this looks uh, absolutely fantastic i think this actually would have been better maybe this would have been a better cover than what we got
1: uh, well, yeah, I think in some ways, except that, um, admittedly, there, there is no demon here, right? So mm-hmm. your, your, your title character wouldn't have been shown, but I, I definitely think the, uh, detail on the monster and then having the village over here is a little bit better choice. Um, maybe just shrink that a little bit so that you can put in the demon somewhere. And yeah, it would have been a better, definitely, I think a better illustration for the cover at the very least. Yeah. And Merlin is telling us, uh, terror in Transylvania
2: is a condition as ancient as the strange practices which produce it there. I myself have just borne witness to the occult creatures of the night released by evil sorcery, but it is only at the end of one such incident that my demon and I cross the path of the w- most hellish night stalker of the netherworld. And like the, the howler there, I like how he has his own, uh, you know, a uh, logo and font here, the howler, and it looks pretty darn cool. And I do like too how they did the credits in the bottom left there. What do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely a good place for it as far as uh, it. I guess it all, you would have um, set up the entire illustration so that that corner was bare and you could put that in there. But I, I do like uh, the way that it's located, kind of unobtrusively as you're as you're gazing down, you know, the picture until you get to the very bottom there. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I like that choice.
2: Yeah, really, really cool. And again, it, the colors here are great. There's some green grass, and you know the background is a little kind of, uh, you know, it just it's not very super detailed, and the colors are a little bland. But I think that's the whole point because they want your eye on the howler and his logo here. But you know, it's it's funny you you put all this emphasis on the howler and you give him his own logo, and he's a one and done. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, <that's>, yeah. <laughs> But, wow. So, Kirby, I'll tell you what. I have seen a lot of two-page spreads from Kirby, and he oh, did it man. a lot. Yeah, he did it a lot in the 1970s, right? And even going forward into the 80s, he would do single or double-page spreads a lot in his comics. But why don't you speak on this page as soon as you oh. turn and go to this two-page spread here? What do you What do you see?
1: This is freaking awesome. Um, mm-hmm. Now, a lot of times... For artwork that I really, really like, there's a big part of me that would prefer to see just the pencils or the, the pencils and inks, no colors. Mm-hmm. But I think because as detailed as this is, you really need a good colorist to start breaking these different aspects of the line drawing out so that it doesn't just become – just a whole bunch of lines that you're looking at and i i don't mean that in a bad way but there is just so much detail that in order for my eye to get it now um i will admit here very shortly my eyes will be 56 years old so uh, there is that <laughs> um but it just the 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 people the skin tones what they're wearing the background uh things to the su- it, it's just it's a beautiful beautiful piece of artwork and the coloring definitely brings it up a, a step or two. Yeah. And I wish we knew who the colorist was because it is
2: fantastic. It's like, you know, the scene is the inside of a pub tavern. It almost reminds me of a hammer film where you have a, a bunch of locals here, you know, drinking their, their beer and there's a waitress there. And I'll, I'll, I will say this too. Sometimes when I uh, read uh, Kirby and see his artwork, I feel like, there are a lot of um, similar faces sometimes in his books from, you know, uh, his Marvel and his yes. DC work. Yeah. So that but this other than the waitress looking like beautiful dreamer, uh, everybody else in here has a very distinct look. It doesn't look like any other Kirby character I've ever seen. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. There's a guy immediately on the far left that's like the one of the well the far left and far right there are two very close-up shots of people and man the guy on the left he, he's he got this hat on and a red jacket and a beard and oh my gosh the line work there is amazing and there's a guy right behind him with glasses and a mustache and he's holding a, a, a beer sign here you know they, they actually look like they're in Bavaria not Transylvania but uh oh man and again there's a clock in the background there's like a I'm not sure what you'd call that back there, maybe a hutch or something like that with a right. bunch of like gla- you know, glasses and dishware and things in it. And then to the right, there's like a, a curved opening into another room where you can see more people and the, there's like
1: taxidermy on the wall. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, it – It. he had to have spent a lot – well, we, we don't know, of course. We know Kirby was very, very fast, but he – he paid a lot of attention to this particular illustration for this issue. I'll just put it that way. However, however much time it took him to do the the amount of technique and the amount of work is just awesome for this piece.
2: Yeah, it's incredible. Some burning candles with the wax melting down, you know, one in the forefront, one pushed a little bit towards the back and there's our buddy Jason Blood and he's got this purple coat on with this like kind of uh it was like an animal skin or something kind of collar to it and a, a green hat on. And, you know, the uh, people are, you know, like, uh oh, we hear the howler. You know, they hear something howling outside. And of course, all the locals are like scared out of their wits. And he's thinking to himself, this remote region seems to be the spawning ground for every danger unleashed by occult experiments. However, as Jason Blood, a traveler, I must appear ignorant and skeptical of what's going on here. And, you know, you, you, we, we go to the next page here and he kind of acts like, you know, what are you talking about, howler? What's going on here? And, you know, they start telling him about this, uh, you know, this this crazy creature running around here and they bar the doors and everything, too. And again, this this has a very Hammer feel to it to me. And I don't know if Kirby was a fan of Hammer, but this looks like something right out of, you know, one of their uh, Dracula movies or something like that.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I do want to say that I really have enjoyed it. It hasn't come up too, too often in issues before, but he uses it quite a bit in this issue. The four-panel page, I am a big fan of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And even the one
2: next to it, where it's a five-panel, and you get the you know the, the double wide panel at the top there as well. It's just you know, it's not you know Kirby has done plenty of innovative things, and he can you know do page layouts with the best of them. But even just these simple grids and filling them up with you know insane detail and just making your eye go to the action. He's just like, it's incredible to, you know, just even awe at a four panel page.
1: Absolutely. I, I think that there's a lot of the fact that comics, uh, at, at least it's my understanding, are intended to be a visual medium. When you start getting into nine and more panels a page, the artwork just starts to get so small that I think a lot of the details are lost. Mm-hmm. But, Four panels of of course that's you know a full page spread notwithstanding or a much less a two page spread like we just saw. Uh but four four panels, nice big panels, plenty of plenty of elbow room to really show something of uh, show action, show interaction, people moving. Just I I don't know. I, I just I really uh after these two issues, became a really big fan of, of four panel pages. Yeah, I mean, who better to fill up, you know, a panel like that than Kirby? It's just
2: – Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he He's the man. And, you know, after kind of listening to all these uh, locals talk about this howler creature, uh, Jason Blood's just like, well, uh, you know, he goes, I'm going to head out of here. And the waitress is like, the stranger, he's going out. And he says, that's right, folks. I've purchased some supplies and a good horse. And now I'm on my, my way back to the good old U.S. of A when somebody says then quickly go and they take the bars away from the doors and he uh, runs out there. And we do see a, a howling. Uh, <laughs> you know, I love how Kirby does that in that uh, second panel there on page five with the, the, the howl as uh, Jason Blood is uh, running towards his horse and he gets on his horse. But we do see there's somebody uh, somebody or something following him. Right.
1: Yep. Whatever it is, you know, if if you want to. To make the uh, the the logical jump there, that howl from the first panel and that big furry hand in the second panel—they if you know if they're the same creature, boy, it was pretty close to him when it let out that howl to begin with. So he he had to have really felt that one much less heard it.
2: Yeah, and I kind of wonder was was this howler just you know making his normal rounds and just happened to come upon him because he was the only person brave enough to you know open the door and leave the the, the house or the the tavern or whatever or was there a specific reason uh you know with Jason Blood's connection to the demon that this creature was kind of drawn to him?
1: I'm not sure. I I would lean towards it being drawn to him because of his uh uh supernaturalness, if that's a word. It, it is now. But <laughs> yeah, it, you know, kind of cuz he's he's looking for a a new vessel. And so I would think that Something that's giving off some kind of supernatural vibe would kind of be, you know, shiny compared to all the other vessels that that you're familiar with in this area. So I I would have to think that because of his mission, something supernatural would kind of draw his attention.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how about page six here, too? Uh, We get a, you know, the, the monster is following him and attacks him. And wow, that very last panel, again, a four panel grid like you were talking about already. Uh, incredible there with the close up, is it
1: not? Oh yeah, yeah that is that is absolutely a Kirby monster man if I've ever seen one. That was it, it doesn't completely show you know the head, the body it doesn't completely show the open mouth, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But there there is enough. Th- this is like we we are Jason in, in this essence. Because it almost looks like from the previous panel that that dude jumped right down on his horse and so jumped onto the horse between Jason and the horse's head, I, I could almost envision. And if that's the case, this is what Jason would be seeing is this panel right here.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we're seeing it from his perspective, absolutely. Yeah. Mm, yeah, incredible stuff. And then, you know, Kirby, he's been doing this a lot too, where he almost breaks, uh, you know, these, these comics up into chapters or parts, whatever, and... Now we get uh, Chapter 2, and he is the demon, and really, really great, uh, you know, job there. Again, I, I don't know if that's Mike Royer. I know sometimes, you know, like we said about the cover, Gaspar Saladino, he would kind of do some of these logos, and they would, uh, you know, just have him do them. Right. And they would insert them there, whatever, or it, maybe this is Royer, but r- really cool page there, too. Again, a four-panel grid, a little bit smaller because of
1: the text and the demon logo, but pretty cool either way, right? Right, yeah, you, you've got that. Uh, It's not really a panel, but the 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 upper panel, which is a third of the page. So yeah, your your four panels have to take up two thirds of a page on this one instead of a full page as they have. But that that doesn't seem. I mean, you know, I guess if we were to you know break out a ruler, which of course is something that men are taught to do from the time they're wee lads, we don't we don't measure things. That's that's bad. Uh, But. (laughs) The size of these panels, it, they feel just as big as the four – the the full-page four panels. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so. and I mean what do you think of that close-up of the demon too? It looks pretty good, a little bit more like not quite as uh, – I don't want to say bad. It's – it's it's I don't know what other word to say, but it, it's not quite as bad as some of the other – like you mentioned it with the cover where it almost looks like he draws the demon sometimes. like It's almost like he has like a, a bathing cap on uh, yeah. and, with little horns.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, this – it, this is kind of in between, from what we have seen uh, uh, good and what we have seen bad. I, I still, for the life of me, don't understand why the lines have to be there, but they they are. Kirby is intent in the the fact that the demon has a deeply furrowed forehead between his eyes and his horns, and it just it looks weird. It does. What do you think, too? I wanted to ask you, what about the panel progression
2: there, too, on that page from one, two, three to four? Like a, just great visual work there by Kirby, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. You've got in in panel one, you've got Jason Blood and panel four. You've got the demon. Now, the two transition panels aren't transitioning between the two, which is kind of what you would expect. The, the second panel, Kirby or uh, uh, Jason Blood is. I don't know. He I guess he's he's starting to double over because of of the pain of the transition, let's say. Mm-hmm. And then in the third panel where the transition probably becomes full into the demon he is bent over, so basically you can just see. And as I'm sitting here, I'm bending over for everybody too, in case yeah, just in <laughs> to, case just to, to see. <laughs> yeah, in case you're wondering. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, but then you can you in the third panel you just see like the back of his head because he's bent over, and then in the fourth panel he's raised up, so you you see the transition, but you don't see the transition. It's it, it's it's really uh, it's a cool way of doing it.
2: Yeah, and I feel like there are some artists who are very talented artists, but they will just go from panel one to panel four or even just one in between. But, you know, you just wouldn't get the full effect that you get from Kirby here. It's just his mind, you know, thinking, what do people want to see? And, you know, how can I make it look, you know, it's best. And it's just he was again, he was on another level than, you know, pretty much everybody ever.
1: Very much. um, and I, I think I've tried to use this word before cinema cinematographic. somehow that doesn't feel like the right word, but uh very movie like in, in the Cine- way that he's cinematic maybe. Yeah. Cin- yeah. Cinematic. Maybe that's the word I'm just, yeah. But he, he, I think Kirby is definitely seeing a moving picture in his mm-hmm. head as, as he's drawing these things, because that's what it, it seems to me to be like a, uh, I can almost envision you know how the um the old movies uh before sound sometimes had that very jerky quality to them? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that that's almost what that feels like. If you made that black and white, you know, I I could see that as as the uh the the curse of the demon 1919 or you know, something like that kind of movie.
2: Yeah. And this howler. Wow. So it- Basically, you know, now we have Etrigan, not Jason, and he like rams his horse right into this howler, but it picks the horse up literally and tosses it aside like with very little effort. And the, the, you know, then it's like, okay, this is going to be a real fight here. You know, this 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 creature is very very strong.
1: Yeah, he he probably is going to have strength that's going to be able to rival Etrigan's, uh, since they're going hand to hand. You know, you think, well. Yeah, once Entrigan gets in there, you know, he'll be able to dispatch him pretty quickly. But, yeah, being able to pick up a what, a ton and a half horse? Is that what they go, 1,500 pounds? Is that That's too much? That's what I'm thinking. I'm, oh, gosh, I'm thinking, yeah, a
2: big horse, like, wow, I'm thinking at least 1,000.
1: Yeah, yeah, so, the, you know, he's and, – and he just – it it really doesn't look in that panel like he really used much effort because he – the the horse – rushes him so he he catches it in his chest basically the the head and neck of the horse and then just by grabbing that portion of the horse he manages to flip the entire thing just over his head I mean he doesn't throw it to the side or anything like that he picks it up and flips it over himself so yeah already you're you're seeing that whatever else happens Hand to hand, the muscles of this bad guy are, are going to be pretty even with what Etrigan can do. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so I'm um, I'm seeing you know horses, their weights can vary uh, quite a bit, but they can be anywhere from 900 to 2,000 pounds. So,
1: oh, okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this and you can see just the way Kirby renders it, this this looks like a very big horse.
1: Yeah, that, yeah, this is a big, healthy horse. So we'll we'll go we'll go a uh, uh, three quarter ton. We'll we'll go 1,500. Yeah, so like like it's nothing just over over his head and and away from him
2: yeah i mean just to quickly you know tie it back to you know what you said before about you know men not liking rulers this horse is not
1: afraid of a ruler i guarantee you uh no no this this horse (laughs) yeah he's got nothing to be ashamed of he's good to go so uh
2: the, the howler you know it proves to be quite a combatant so it's pretty strong it even like clobbers etrigan here and it rips a tree, you know, out of the ground and starts swinging it around. It's like, holy crap, this thing is really
1: strong. Yep, just breaks it off like we would, you know. Reach up. We we were taught when we were kids when when Mama told it to, told us to go get a switch. You know, we uh-huh. we break off a switch, and uh, that's that's basically what he did. But his switch is the size of a whole dagon tree. It's like a yeah, he breaks an oak tree yeah, he, he <laughs> and yeah. he just breaks it off, and it's like, dude.
2: Yeah, and he's howling while he's doing this as well, by the way. He has this in his hand, and he's swinging it uh, towards Etrigan and howling while he's doing it. So he's a multitasker. But Etrigan uh, soon uh, realizes he doesn't really like fire and not the kind of fire that he can blast from his hands here. I mean, I feel like Royer is my favorite inker, or Joe Sinnott. One of them, those two guys are my favorite inkers for Kirby. But I just feel at the bottom here, these two panels – the, the inking here's failing a little bit. I think I just the, the flames and it hitting the monster don't don't look the greatest to me.
1: Yeah, is is it the inking or is it the coloring?
2: Oh, you know, yeah, you know, if the colorists went a little bananas here, that could be it
1: too. It, because there's there's a lot of definition of the flames that I don't see inked in. So, you know, if you were to take those margins away from a lot of the flames in those two panels, I, I think the, the remaining pencils and inks might not be quite as bad uh as as it looks with the colors all over the place. And then plus two here, the the howler in the um final panel, this whatever's going on in the lower part of his body, this pinkish, whitish, reddish it, you know, is he on fire or is it, yeah? It I I think it's the coloring. Yeah, I
2: didn't know if it, if he got burned because he's holding that giant tree and etrigan starts to burn it and it is right up against his body there. So I didn't know if that Kirby or or I'm sorry, whoever colored this is trying to show that he got burned or is that just like a the glow reflecting off of it yeah, or something? I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not sure. I'm not
1: sure. I mean, and, and you know, admittedly, with, with everything else we've been looking at so far, that is kind of nitpicking. Oh but yeah. When you- look at just this panel by itself, it, it kind of jumps out to me that it's like, you know, you've got his head and then you've got it separated by this flame and then the lower portion. And I'm like, well, you know, I get the head and the eyes and the hands, but what, you know, what's going on in that lower portion there? What, what? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's a 23 page comic and literally those are the only two
2: panels I looked at and thought,
1: eh, they don't look the greatest. Yeah, really I was <laughs> like, oh, something's weird, you know? And, and, even if I do start to feel bad, I'll just go back to that two-page spread and and spend a couple minutes there, and I'll be like, okay, everything's okay with the world now.
2: Mm-hmm. That'll slap me right out of my stupidity. Yeah,
1: <laughs> There'll be something else in there that I – something on the shelf back there hanging on the wall that I didn't notice before. Yeah, that's uh, – that's a beautiful picture. Anyways, we're we're past that. So
2: well, well even on page ten here, you flip the page, uh you know, the middle panel here, I think that looks fantastic. Now the the teeth of the, the howler here on the bottom look a little wonky. They're like curved, but I love that close up on his face.
1: Yeah, they, they look like they're coming out kind of tuskish, maybe, you know. Mm-hmm. Um whereas in that panel uh when he first jumped Etrigan, his his teeth didn't look like that. They seemed to be Per, uh, per- perpendicular to his body, so yeah, or par- parallel to his body. I'm sorry, not perpendicular, parallel. So it, yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, in in his anger, his his teeth are growing because he's, I don't, or she, uh not to you know, be sexist here. <laughs> maybe they're uh, melting, <laughs> manifesting uh, more of the the supernatural power that they have, and and maybe the the teeth are growing to be uh, more imposing or something. But yeah, you're right. You you definitely, it's a monstrous face. That is something in pain, or is angry from the pain, or a combination. Plus, you see the fire, so yeah, it's it's a very uh, very intense panel for sure.
2: Yeah, and I love how it kind of just runs off because it looks like it is on fire. And you know, Etrigan, uh, he's uh, already starting in his uh, young career here as a smack talker. He says farewell, Howler.
1: Remember (laughs) well
2: to avoid the power of demons. (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah, wow. they,
1: they go, t- talk your smack when they're running away that's yeah that's that's the way to do it <laughs> and then merlin
2: shows up and says poor tormented spirit you were merciless in your attack etrigan and etrigan says great merlin you were here you saw and he says yes the primal entity still roams the earth seeking a new victim to possess and etrigan says i had to use the flame sire there was no other way and he says i know etrigan the howler is a carrier of the primal entity And to rid himself of it, he attempted to transfer it even to you. So uh, it's an interesting uh, way for Kirby to go about this. This is just isn't your garden variety, you know, werewolf or cryptid or whatever here. This is he's saying it's almost like a spirit that can possess people and then kind of change them into this howler. Right. So it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. uh, And and backing up, you know, I, I think if it were me, the first thing I'd have been like was dog. Why didn't you help me? (laughs) <laughs> you know if you're standing you just there watching yeah come on I, I thought
2: we were we were bros
1: here what what are you doing
2: mm, yeah merlin he's a he's one of those people he he likes to watch he doesn't like to, to, to get involved i guess
1: yeah very very sensei-ish you know he he's he's taught his student and then he stands back to see how they perform and judges their ability and everything and it's like dude all you had to do is step in for a second it would have been over <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm.
2: he imparts a little bit of wisdom on him here by saying, the victim must be a mortal, Etrigan, but so great is the urge to be rid of the primal entity, the howler chose to victimize even a demon. And then Etrigan says, we've done our work in this place, Merlin. Let us leave as we planned. And Merlin just kind of waves his hand, and he disappears. And it's like, oh, you couldn't help me get back to where I need to go? No, you're <laughs> there, there you
1: go, man. Merlin is <laughs> yeah. Merlin's just lone wolfing it all over the place. Yeah, what a
2: jerk. So he's like, see you later, pal. Have, have fun on your horse ride and your plane ride. <laughs> oh, man. And then we got a, a page 12 there. We got a six panel grid. You know, some really good work here. Another a close up on the howler and then you know, a super close up on his uh, eyes, which are just blank white, which is really creepy. And uh, then we uh, see Jason and he's uh, back to, uh, you know, dressed in his street clothes and he's uh, heading uh, to the airport here. And there's this creepy guy behind him. Uh, and uh, a woman in front of him, and he's looking at his watch, and uh, the guy says, I beg you, do you have the time, sir? And he goes, if you intend to make this flight, friend, you still have minutes to spare. And they get on the, plight, the, the flight here together, and I like how it's, you know, old school. They're like, you know, walked out onto the tarmac and up the,
1: yeah, <laughs> the thing Yeah, really.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like they're getting on Air Force One here. <laughs> and he goes, I've taken great pains to take the flight, Jason Blood. I've spent three Of these past weeks trailing you, learning about you. And Jason turns and looks and goes, that's the darndest thing I've ever heard. Who are you? I demand an explanation. And, of course, they get to sit by each other on the plane. And Jason says, we may as well sit together. I'd like to hear why a perfect stranger would go to these lengths to join me. And the guy says, you mistake our relationship, sir. We've met before. In circumstances of great stress, in fact, sir, we fought like demons. So the guy's putting it right out there saying, basically, I am a howler.
1: Yeah, it's, it's like that whole thing about you, you always will see in a movie, uh, where there's a a breakup or somebody's going to be fired or something like that. They always go to a public place so that there can't be a big commotion about it. I I think that's what the, the prowler, the, uh, prowler. Yeah. The, the growler is doing here. Um, (laughs) you know, he, he, he knows that he can, he can talk his truth and Jason really isn't going to be able to do anything about it. Yeah, and this is interesting here. So panel
2: three, I just noticed this. I did not notice it the first time I read through it here to write some notes down. But, man, in panel three there, Jason looks like Mr. Spock.
1: Yeah, his ears do seem to be coming to a peak <laughs> area as, as he's looking out the window.
2: Yeah, it's like, what the heck? I don't don't think they ever drew his ears like that before, did they? I'm like, what's going on here?
1: <laughs> well, on the on the next page, the first panel, it looks like they're rounded there.
2: Yeah, so I don't know and if they were like – I, I, what?
1: Yeah, not, not sure what happened. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's, you know, under stress and he's considering changing, but we know it doesn't work that way. Something has to be said in order for Jason, to, which comes up in the next, the next issue uh as well. Poor Jason and 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 changing there. But yeah, I don't, I don't know why it got all uh, pointy eared there. Maybe this was a panel that was going to be used for something else and they just didn't make that correction.
2: Yeah, and the guy says his name is Eric Schiller, and he's an anthropologist, and he was uh, digging deep into unrecorded history. In one of the caves, you reach back too far to a mystic period in the very dawn of time. You found the primal entity, and he says uh, a beast spirit called into being by witch doctors who lived in the age of the saber-toothed tiger. And I'm thinking – I don't think there were witch doctors in the age of the saber-toothed tiger there, pal, but I I could be wrong. I'm not a history major.
1: Uh, no, I, I don't think they had necessarily <laughs> advanced uh, beyond just trying to live day to day to have a, uh, a a shaman or anything like that. So, yeah, I I, I don't think those two mix very well.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And Jason says, and you released it once more. Well, if you intend to transfer it to me, forget it. You realize that part of me is not mortal. <clears throat> Excuse me there. And he goes, nevertheless, I must be rid of it. The howler shall find a mortal victim. Unless – and they kind of concoct a plan here where he almost thinks Jason Blood can somehow, like, exercise this, you know, for lack of a better term, entity or demon from him, right? Right, yeah. Uh,
1: You know, as as I'm sitting here uh, going through this again, I realize what this reminds me of. It reminds me of the way that Marvel does the uh, Wendigo legend.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. And I don't even know when that character came about. I don't think at this point that was out yet, was it?
1: I don't think so. <clears throat> unless, unless that's like really the truthful part of that legend. I, I don't know much about the the real world legend of the Wendigo. Um but yeah, in 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 Marvel it's a it's a spirit also that under particular circumstance uh comes onto a person and takes them over and then it has a twofold purpose. One is to, to survive, but the other is to pass on that spirit either to make another Wendigo or just to transfer that Wendigo to another individual. So kind of kind of the same as this. The the drive is to to, to move on to another. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, here's something interesting. You're going to like you're going to love this. So <clears throat> speaking of the Wendigo in Marvel Comics. He first appeared in the Incredible Hulk, Volume Two, Number One Hundred and Sixty Two, and I'm assuming this is cover dated April, nineteen seventy-three. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's like it, I feel like that might be just some synchronicity here, or you know, uh, yeah.
1: Marvel Marvel ate this from <laughs> Yeah, who who knows? We you know we <laughs> there, there's all kinds of things like that that come to find out the the writer for one book and the artist of another book were like roommates in an apartment mm-hmm. in New York and that's why it's it's so similar or uh close to the same time or stuff like that but yeah it's just it it's it's another indication of how closely Marvel and DC ran for you know 20 or 30 years as far as their story creation
2: yeah, I mean, like you said, famously, uh, we had—I uh, think it was Jerry Conway and Len Wein, wasn't it—that were having an apartment together at the same time and did everything yeah. and swamped. And they still contend—well, I shouldn't say contend—contended uh, until pretty late in life for Len Wein there uh, that they were not, uh, you know, sharing ideas, copying each other, nothing. They both just came up with those things kind of what? around the same time.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So somebody. <laughs> Somebody overheard somebody or saw something laying on the desk or, or something. There is some connection there.
2: Yeah, I bet it was like, I'm gonna create this swamp monster. And he was like, Oh yeah, me too. Well mine's gonna be better than yours. No way. Mine'll be better than yours.
1: Yeah, there you go. That, that's not, okay, well we'll see.
2: They'll outdo each other, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. But uh yeah, so they they're they're gonna go on with this, you know, that this Schiller guy has uh, convinced Jason to, you know, try to, you know, exercise this, you know, spirit or whatever you want to call it from him. And, okay, holy mackerel, page 15, you know, we have, (laughs) this is just wild. And I know Jason's like a demonologist, but being a demonologist doesn't mean you actually do these things. Usually that's just you kind of study things, but I guess he's a, you know, a man of action here, so he is going to actually perform this in his black robe.
1: Black robe with uh did did he call him okay saber tiger teeth okay um mm-hmm. and here, here's the saber toothed tiger skull over here uh, next to him you got the incense burning all around and yeah he's got the the, the hooded robe on but the hood is not like completely pulled over his face because then he would be evil if that's what it was but he's just I don't know, wearing the hood up, maybe just keep his hair out of his out of his way or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he
2: starts to go to town here, but then, of course, Glenda, his uh, you know would-be girlfriend, walks in. And I'm just like – I would be like, don't you people ever knock? Get out of here. Like <laughs> I'm in the middle of something, and he's a lot nicer than I would have been about it. But he's like, hey, listen, you need to leave. Get out of here because there's something crazy going on here. And she's just like, you know, a witchcraft ceremony. What's going on? And he's like, listen. There's danger here. You need to get out of here. You wouldn't understand. I need to do something here. Blah 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 blah. Well, of course we know what's going to happen
1: next, right? Right. Absolutely. We we knew what was going to happen as soon as she showed up.
2: <laughs> yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep.
1: There's a a, a big
2: w- ow and wham, and uh, the, the the howler is free and it's starting to smash the crap out of uh, Jason's apartment here. And of course he's you know more worried about hiding and uh keeping uh his uh, uh girl here glinda safe so he kind of hides her and then says like hey hide in this room here with all this uh demonology kind of stuff and he <laughs> shoves her into a room and there's all sorts of wild stuff in here but a lot of it looks like from you know arthurian times there on the left especially right
1: right yeah yeah it ma- makes you think of like the uh the old um uh magic user illusionist um gypsy wagon from like a carnival circus or something like that is is kind of what it looks like to me there's just stuff everywhere and and it doesn't it, it doesn't necessarily have a meaning right unless you're looking for something to have a meaning and then you're like oh i bet this is that and this is that and yeah so it's a it's a practical and a mystical kind of uh well safe room looking at that big door that he's got on it there.
2: Yeah, a big giant metal door and he shuts her in there, locks the door and then it's on and you know, of course just as Jason Blood he's going to get the crap beat out of him by this howler and the howler does it starts, you know, throwing him mm. around, smashing the place up and it doesn't look good for him but then uh, of course he uh, you know has the uh, the demon come out here and what's interesting it says uh He's thinking to himself, "Got to summon Etrigan the Demon now, or..." and uh, he has his his hand over his face. It looks like, and he says, "Even as the words come to Jason, a strange gathering of chaotic energy fills the Howler's eyes, and they snap and twist and ride as if possessed by a life of their own." And then I'm thinking, "Oh, he's got his hand on the Howler's face there." I thought that was him.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, the, the Howler pushing him off, you know, trying to keep him off there. Yeah. The the howler's getting ready. Then we see on the next page he's getting ready to do that that spirit transfer thing. Yeah, to Jason.
2: Yeah, and he did. Gone, gone. The form of man, rise the demon Etrigan. I love that. There's a bunch of smoke around his eyes because that demon, like I said, he's trying to the howler's trying to transfer that entity to him, and uh, he turns into the demon and right away just starts blasting away and laughing. By the way, uh,
0: with his yeah.
2: well yeah. called not hellfire, I'm trying to think of what he calls it, but blasting him and says, Back, howler, back, taste demons flame, made powerful as never before. Raging Infernos turn into fiery hammers meant for you. And he blasts the howler that like, with that powerful a blow, it knocks him clear out of the window, and I'm not sure if it says how many stories up they are, but it's pretty far and the howler, you know, seemingly falls to his death, right?
1: I, I would think so, yeah. Unless, unless he's also got like you know some sort of supernatural regenerative thing. He he felt now. Okay, looking at the picture, I, I get two. I have two different thoughts. If I look at the building, it's I don't know eight maybe ten stories. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the sidewalk, if those dots are meant to be people, <laughs> they are way up there.
0: Yeah,
2: I wasn't sure if that's what those were supposed to be, people, because like the cars, if those are supposed to be people, the cars, it doesn't look. Yeah, no, you're right. Okay, so so I didn't know if that
1: was just a bunch of dog crap. Yeah, I I don't know what that is. But yeah, you're right. Looking at the car now. Yeah. So maybe, you know, seven, seven to ten stories up for the size of those cars that 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 looks to be about right.
2: I mean, maybe the howler shat himself on the way down, and that's what that is. <laughs> and it's Yeah, it's all over
1: the, the <laughs> sidewalk already.
2: Howler feces. Yep. But, yeah, he looks out and kind of says uh, he's thinking to himself, Etrigan, he's dead or dying, for I can see him changing, becoming Eric Schiller once again. My work is done. I've destroyed the howler for all time. But the primal entity within his body, did it die, too? Dot, 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 question mark. And. You know he's he's you know gone through a pretty tough fight here, and he got really beat bad when he was Jason. So changes back to Jason, and lets Glenda out of her little uh, locked room here. And uh man, page twenty-two there, his face is really jacked up from that fight with the howler, right?
1: Yeah, before he before he changed, he took some licks for sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah, he's beat pretty bad, and you know she says, "Uh, I heard the sound of breaking glass," and he says, "This window, to be exact." It fell out of the window and now lies in the street below, incapable of inflicting any more harm, I hope. And, you know, we do see, you know, he's looking down there and he says, by heaven, that's right. He changed back to Eric Schiller and that look of uh, serenity on his face. It's as if the primal entity had left him. Did it die with him or and? You know, you see the dead guy laying there and there's somebody with their hand over their face kind of like bent over him like a, a concerned citizen here. But we're, we're, we're at first we're not sure what's going on here, right? But we do know by the last page what's going on.
1: Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, you know, having read stuff like this before that that dude covering his eyes is it, that's the, the international horror sign for something is in me.
2: Mm, something bad's happening here, and
1: it's... yeah. So you you know you you hope that yeah the the entity died with Schiller, but the way that this dude is reacting, you're like, oh dang, he got out.
2: Mm-hmm. And the, the guy then kind of stumbles away, again, still with his hand to his face, and saying something's happened. I feel so strange. And uh, Glenda and uh, Jason are looking out, and she says, Jason, if something's – is something wrong, the danger is over, isn't it? And he goes, Is it? I don't know, Glenda. If it's still present, it will answer for itself soon enough. And then you hear hear a howl in the middle of the city here, and it says, Jason Blood could never be certain, but sometime later, the darkened city seems to echo with a distant, chilling sound. And uh, it's a great way to end this, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fantastic stuff. And then there's a little blurb here. It says, if the primal entity has found a new host, the howler may strike again. But until that happens, Jason Blood and his demon brother inherit a nephew? A strange little boy with strange nocturnal activities. Don't miss Witch Boy. (laughs) So, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so fun issue. You know, we like, you know, there were a couple of panels in there we were kind of like, you know, a little dicey about, but otherwise, it was a lot of fun.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, solid, solid art, uh, solid ink. uh, You know, iffy colors every now and then, which may also mean that maybe multiple hands were involved in the coloring. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just really cool, fun, like you said. Unfortunately, one-off kind of bad guy here, but yeah, this this would definitely be uh cool to have brought back, you know, at some point without Jason knowing and and have another encounter with the howler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's
2: and again, it's it's it was great for a one-off, but I wouldn't have been like let's say the demon lasted fifty issues, which it didn't, but let's say it did. If by issue like thirty. Kirby would have brought the Howler back for another, you know, little
1: one-on-one. Oh, yeah.
2: Hey, that would have been cool, too. I'd have been fine with that.
1: Yep, yep. Just uh, who knows? He encountered it in another city somewhere, you know, for some reason or something. Yeah, there, there's a lot of lot of possibilities to bring it back.
2: Yeah, or the entity got transferred to one of his buddies here, you know, uh, in the we're going to see, you know, the, the the regular cast of characters is back in the next issue, issue seven here. Wouldn't it be cool if it got into, like, Glenda or, like, one of these other Ooh. characters?
1: That Yikes. would have been fun. <laughs> yeah, that that'd be pretty messed up trying to get it out of the get it out of his friend, but the the howler would know that it's a friend and so wouldn't want to leave quite as readily and yeah, that that could have been interesting.
2: Yeah, sure. So, all right, well, why don't we uh, bounce over to the demon number 7 and this one is uh, covered in March 1973 and uh, okay, before I say hey, I really uh, you know, a great uh, you know, a uh, first appearance here. Okay, the, 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 it was the Howler's first appearance too. I don't want to put put the Howler in a corner like <laughs> ba- like baby. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> but uh, we have got a really cool first appearance here. Uh, Jack Kirby, Mike Royer cover once again, and uh, I would love to uh, hear your thoughts on the uh, the cover of this one.
1: This one, for I, I liked this one a little bit better. Uh, I'm I'm not. Sure that it's really um I don't know, it's it's really fair of me to to do that, but there's just something about this cover that I enjoyed better. Um we see like it looks like maybe some kind of showdown between the demon and this other character because they're in a circle of light is is what it brings to my mind. Like there's some kind of you know, you, you've got to beat this creature or that creature to, to get away or to prove yourself or whatever. And on top of that, in the shadows behind them and a little bit at the bottom of the page, which would be the foreground, are figures in shadow just watching. Um, you can't really tell what the foreground figures, uh they actually could be rather unhuman kind of mm-hmm. looking at them here. Uh, but the fig, the figures in the, in the background, they really seem to be involved in what's going on. They're really paying attention, um, looking more, well, some of them more human, some of them not, not, still not looking very human, looking kind of, I don't know, other creatures. <laughs> yeah, other, other creature, not like a monster, but just like some kind of, Messed up human-y kind of form or something. They they just look weird. Maybe, maybe they're just intended to be weird humans. It's hard to tell. Um, but the, the demon is facing someone. And the someone is dressed in a puritanical, almost a religious kind of suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say puritanical because of the buckles on the shoes. And then religion because he's got white cuffs and a white collar on but he's not wearing a white collar because it's like he's got a tie it doesn't appear to be a tie on him just a white collar um full suit and pants and he is i don't know he's he's given the the wombo to demon with some kind of spell or something here because there are energy tendrils there's energy nimbus around each of his hands, and then the energy is coming off of that in streamers and hitting Entrigan right in the chest, Um and Entrigan doesn't really seem to be digging that too much, so it's it's not a good beam that he's in the middle of here, Um and I don't know, the, the person who is is zapping him has kind of like a, a no emotion face too, uh, to be honest with mm-hmm. you, just almost looks like he's being controlled, or he is... I don't know. There's a dude here in the shadows that's kind of crouched. I think maybe he's getting into it more than this dude that's sending the zap is getting into it. So
2: yeah, and you can't really tell by the size of the characters a whole lot. You know, Etrigan does look you know pretty big, uh, but this this kid he he is a kid, but he doesn't look a whole lot like a kid. But uh, the the blurb at the top says he appeared in the dark of night. The strange creature called Witch Boy and. There's only one thing that kind of like eh, about this cover for me is uh, his hands. His hands look like
1: enormous. OK, yeah. Now, <laughs> but I will say that that is something that Kirby does on occasion. Yeah, I, I've, I've noticed that in Commandy before that there mm-hmm. are some times that Commandy's hands are just like, dude, what happened? <laughs> yeah it just
2: just throws me off a little the more i look at them the more i think stop looking at them because it's just gonna <laughs> yeah just turn the page yeah, just, uh... <laughs> but i do love the the green and black you know background where these like you said like some of them just look like these rando puritan types that you would have thought you know hopped off of the boat there at plymouth rock and a couple of the other ones look like zombies or like almost like an animal type face like under clarion's left hand right it looks like a dog face
1: yeah and and the next one over there kind of elongated and looks it it looks decidedly not human yeah it looks like that what's his name simon garth kind of the zombie Oh <laughs> <Garth>. yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> a l- little bit there but yeah really good cover i like you said i like this one a lot better than the previous one as well i think it's 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 got a lot more to like about it um but okay well why don't we uh jump in here and Uh, A Witch Boy is the name of this story here. It's Jack Kirby, Script and Pencils, and then Inks and Letters, Mike Royer, as usual. And we start out here with a splash page, and we're we're like right in the middle of it here. So, you know, we do get Merlin again with his – at the top here, he's got a little uh, diatribe about what's going on here. And, I mean, it's not that I don't like that. I'm actually fine with that setup, but when you set it up with him – and then you're right in the middle of action like this. I I don't care for that as much. Like if it sets it up and then, you know, we start out kind of uh, uh, going in a certain direction uh, a little bit slower. I would prefer that. But you know, that's just me. It's but it, it starts right out here with the demon busting out of what looks like the apartment building where Jason lives. And there's this uh, Puritan looking guy with this little demonic looking lizard. Like what in the world's going on here, Ed?
1: Yeah, it, it definitely looks like a Puritan. Like, um, what is the, um, uh, what's the name of the character that was it the, uh, yeah, it's completely left me now. Um, he, he kind of yeah, reminds it, it me does,
2: of that guy in that second Poltergeist movie, that creepy priest.
1: Yeah, um, th- there's, there's a character that, um, comes up in comic books. And I'm trying to remember who he's written by. He's written by a pulp writer that did some other stuff. And I don't know if it was – was it the dude that did Tarzan and uh, John Carter of Mars? Did he have like a, oh, a Edgar Rice Puritan – did did, did did he have a Puritan character? Hmm. He, could, he very um, well could have. I'm not
2: really versed in the – ERB and, uh, world.
1: <laughs> and, and, as soon as we're done recording, it'll come to me, and and that's going to suck. But uh, yeah, he he definitely has a Puritan look. Uh, the the guy, but the the creature looks like a dragon that maybe has had his wings like burned off, and he's just got these little stubs. But he definitely looks like a a dragon or a like a <laughs> he's the he's the rejected son of Fin Fang Foom or something like that. Yeah, like almost like a baby dragon
2: or something. Yeah. And this guy's holding it like, you know, it's his, you know, pet or something like that and uh, Etrigan is yelling at him. Well, the the guy first of all says, sends him find him, seize him, Draga, D-R-A-A-G-A, He his whereabouts and mustn't and mustn't escape. The judge has never lost a fugitive." So this guy's name is the judge and the demon flips open these doors and says, "The setting sun brings sinister visitors, but it's also time for the demon and wow, here we go again, full on two-page crazy Kirby spread here. Uh, this is just again. I, I do like the one better in the previous uh issue 6,
1: but this is still pretty uh, absolutely amazing here, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um Solomon Kane was the character I was trying to think of. Oh
2: about. yeah, yep, yep, yep. Uh, I yeah, I love that character quite a bit. He's a uh I think he's a Howard character.
1: Mm. Okay, yep. Yep. okay. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, we have um, on one of the pages uh, a little bit here. We have kind of a city view, like they're they're battling on a, on a rooftop, which mm-hmm. uh, previously in the page you didn't necessarily get. I almost felt like it was like in an alley or something, but I guess Entrigan, if if you presume that he's jumping out one of his windows here, he could be jumping onto the rooftop of an adjo- adjoining building and then. That's where this two-page spread is. is on that that platform. But you see, uh, kind of a, a cityscape behind the Puritan dude, and, and he he has gestured like he has commanded this lizardy thing to attack Etrigan. In the previous panel, the the creature didn't quite look this big, but now it looks as it is. Leapt onto Entrigan and they're, they're doing some, um, hand to hand. It looks almost human sized this, this little lizardy dragon y thing as it's attacking Entrigan. And also, make note, Entrigan has those weird, messed up lines on his forehead in this picture too. <laughs> he does. There's, it's pretty Why close. is that?
2: <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get that either, especially like the lines that are, Past uh, the 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 horns. Yeah, they're okay. I, I, yeah, I'm fine with those. But the ones that he, it's almost like he's trying to make it that he's grimacing. And I, I guess, like I, I said, it, it looks kind of weird.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, and just to to really set the scene, you've got a a potted plant over here to the side in the lower right. That the the vase has been trashed, and it's been trashed from this attack. Just to. I don't know, fill out that section of the rooftop, I guess, is why it's there, so that something is in the panel. But uh, once again, Entergen is having to go hand-to-hand with something that uh, it looks like initially maybe it'll it'll be able to hold up to him.
2: Yeah, he says, this Draga is the foulest specimen of a warlock's companion known to witchcraft. There's poison in every inch of its body, and this uh, judge guy that he he called himself says – Draga's very touch will finish you, demon. To challenge the judge is a fatal mistake, especially when he is tracking down a fugitive. And again, I'm thinking to myself, what do you mean, what fugitive? But uh we're 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 gonna find out who this fugitive is in a minute here. But it's 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 not Etrigan, it's it's somebody else. But uh the the creature it's doing pretty good against him. It's choking him and but then he does get the advantage and eventually throws it back at this judge guy and then just poof, he disappears along with the the little dragon guy, right?
1: Yeah. They, they, they must be like cousins to Merlin or something like that. <laughs> yeah.
2: And uh, he sends, thinks to himself, exhausted, weak. The poison spreads inside me. So this thing did poison him. And he starts kind of crawling back towards you know, what I'm thinking is his apartment. And a hand uh, is on his shoulder and says, rest easy, friend demon. Your fiery fluids will stir the poison to act more swiftly. And he says, I, I hear your voice, but cannot see you clearly. Who are you? And we meet Clarion. Here he is. He says, why, well, I'm Clarion, of course. And this is Tekel, his little cat, or as we'll, you know, come to know, familiar. And uh, we all know about you, Etrigan. That's why we're here, to take care of you. If you take care of us, and he says, speak louder, your voice, it grows faint. And he says, rest, rest, Etrigan. Change, change to form of man. And he changes him back into Jason Blood, right?
1: And and here is yet someone else that can say something and and Tregan and and Jason Blood change, uh, you know, back and forth, whichever way you want to think. And I'm like, you know, it's it's like having an apartment that's got a lock, but you give everybody the key (laughs) or a party line. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, you know, what is the point of that? But, yeah, everybody seems to know how to change him one way or the other. Yeah, and I think that by the time that the
2: series starts to, you know, get a little bit longer, I think they move away from that and then definitely down the road they do as well. And I, I've got no beef with Merlin being able to do it because he's the one that kind of made, you know, Etrigan uh, and, and Jason here, like right. kind of made put them together. So that's cool. But even it, it kind of even bothers me a little bit that Randu can do it. Yeah. And, and then now this kid can do it. It's like. So, can anybody do it, or do you have to have some kind of special abilities? Because, like, what if Jason, or I'm sorry, what if Etrigan's in the middle of, you know, you know, fighting somebody, and just some, you know, rando walks by and <laughs> says that it's in the middle of a fight. <laughs> oh, look, it's Etrigan! Watch this! And you know, it's, <laughs> dude. yeah, it's crazy. And then uh, this Clarion says, "See, Tickle, it's happening before our eyes. The demon is gone, and in his place is the man known as Jason Blood. They're one and the same entity." And Jason says, "Help me." And then, uh, wow, I love this splash page we get here uh, on page six. What do you think of this?
1: Yeah, yeah, this is a, a little reminiscent of the um, situation that he was using where he was trying to get the howlers, um, the, the spirit out of, of that dude. The the room he's got, a, apparently he sleeps in a four-poster bed. Uh, mm-hmm. We can only see two of them, but there's got to be two more on the other end. I sure. Otherwise, it'd be kind of weird. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and I, 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 there's, there's nothing wrong with sleeping in a four-poster bed, by the way, uh, anybody out there, but I'm just not used to men, uh, particularly grown men using those. You know, my, my experience has been with children and females, so. Or royalty. Uh, Etrigan, <laughs> or who?
2: Royalty. Or, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, really.
1: Um, but, uh, yeah, Clarion is standing at the foot of the bed with, with his, Hands, uh, raised and, and grasping the two, the two pillars of the, the lower portion of the, the four poster. And there's a, uh, a, I guess it's supposed to be a hand image with, um, candles in the fingertips and a clock. It's a, it's a really weird looking thing. And, and actually it even looks like there might be a fountain down here at the bottom, uh, in this basin here. In Jason's room, he's uh, got a nice fireplace back there in the back, too, I notice, And then his uh, buddy here, Harry, is that his yeah, Harry. Yeah, Harry. Uh, also comes busting in just like the girlfriend did, you know, and just like this little boy did. It's like, OK, so everybody knows how to change him back and forth and everybody knows how to get into his apartment. <laughs> you know, I'm like. Dude, you know, we, we make fun of Clark Kent, you know, with just the glasses, but it's like, well, Jason Blood doesn't even have that. Hmm. Yeah, and
2: I just looked it up quick because I knew there was a specific name for that thing, those hands that have like the fingertips with like the, you know, the, the, the flame on it. Um, It's uh, called the Hand of Glory. Okay. So, there you go. That's what that thing's called. But okay. yeah. And I will say, too, Clarion here, you know, of course, Harry comes in. Jason, what? Who are you, kid? How? And he gets cut off by Clarion here. And, you know, again, and when some people, you know, there are certain uh, uh, Kirby defenders that, you know, they will say that his, you know, excrement smelled like roses. And it's like, no, his stuff smelled like everybody else's. Yeah. yeah. his, His mind and his art was tops. That's why he's the king. He's the best. But, you know, when it comes to his scripting, uh, that's where a lot of people will point out some, uh, you know, failing on his part. And I do kind of agree with that sometimes. And this is one of those times Clarion uh, starts calling people, you know, absurd things. Like he says, come in, Cousin Harry. I feel that Uncle Jason is seriously ill. And when he reaches his crisis, he will need our aid. And I'm like, what, Cousin Harry? Like what? Uh, I don't know. That It's kind of <laughs> it bugs me that he calls him that.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it, it feels like it's... Uh weird just to be weird kind of thing you know yeah. Uh, but yeah you're you're right it's it's and i noticed too that at times um he clarion speaks more childishly than he will other times mhm yeah um, and i mean
2: and i mean i don't know his background like i know he's clarion the witch boy but as far as i know i he could be like
1: 200 years old. You know what I mean? I don't know. (laughs) So you don't talk like that. (laughs) Yeah. The, the, the boy part is, uh, yeah, is, is up for debate as to whether or not that's, you know, truly the best word for him or, uh, Clarion, just the witch, you know, for that matter. But yeah, yeah, there, there are some aspects of the, the characterization of Clarion in at, at least in this issue that were kind of, uh, very, very, very slightly off putting for me. You know, mm-hmm. so, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I agree with you.
2: So, you know, Harry sees Jason there laying there and sees these lacerations around his throat. And, you know, if we remember that
1: the, the the
2: demon got choked uh, by that uh, crazy. Well, what the heck was his name even again? Draga or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Draga. Um, so it left some like claw marks on his throat. And Harry says, put down that vicious looking cat and answer me. What happened here to cause this to Jason? And who are you? Where did you come from? And Clarion says, getting upset won't help things at all, Cousin Harry. Don't worry, Tickle knows what to do. Tickle is very valuable at moments like this. He can sense the approach of death and all things unseen. And he puts the cat down and the cat climbs up onto the bed and onto Jason's chest and like puts its paw on these like lacerations and uh, heals them, right?
1: Well, ultimately, it turns out to be that way. When it first occurs, we don't really have the chance to see that because Harry gets all bent out of shape and snatches him up and and tosses him off of, uh, well, tries to toss him off of <laughs> Jason, but the the cat turns on him and attacks him and and whatnot. But yeah, um, it, it and what 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 about this panel with the the cat climbing across Jason's chest? That cat does not look benevolent at all, and. And actually, it has rather human characteristics to its face. I think.
2: Yeah, I thought that as well. Like, and I don't know. I, I'm I'm just uh, assuming. I'm sure Kirby had drawn cats plenty of times before 1970. What are we in three here? Just about. Yeah. So, uh, I'm assuming he did that on purpose. So. You know, maybe to kind of uh, show yeah. us there's something different about this cat, right?
1: Maybe so. It's it's kind of, I'm I'm sitting here looking at it. And the more I look at it, the more freaky it gets to me. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: I love when Harry grabs him. I've had enough of this. Get it off him, you stupid cat. And you shouldn't have done that, Harry. And jumps on him and <laughs> knocks him over a chair. And then it just runs back to Clarion. And, you know, that quick, you know, within just a, a few minutes here, now Jason wakes up and he's just like kind of like, you know, what in the blazes is going on here? And I thought, yeah, I'd be like that, too, because, you know, the last thing he knows is he was having a fight with that crazy dragon and that Puritan guy, and then now he's in bed, seemingly, you know, a little bit beat up, and there's a creepy kid, a cat, and Harry in his bedroom. And be like, get out of here.
1: <laughs> yeah, th- those are some pro- profound situation changes uh, b- <laughs> between the two. So, yeah. Um And so it's here that we see that, yeah, the cat, um whatever touching the the scratches on his neck or whatever uh did help um Jason, but at the time you know you you can assume if the if the book is going to go on that the character is going to be healed, but at the time we didn 't know that it that the cat even i didn 't think that the cat had even been there long enough because Harry jerked it up, so
2: yeah, and it 's funny too, so he says uh those scratches on your throat they 're gone. I'm the one who's been dreaming, and he looks at Clarion and says, where are they, kid? What happened to those scratches? You pulled a little prank on, and he calls himself Cousin Harry. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, everybody's oh starting God. to do it now.
2: <laughs> yeah, like, come on, man. But he says uh, on the next page, uh, sure, you smeared some ketchup on Uncle Jason. So now he's calling him Uncle Jason, and that cat wiped it off with his paws, and Jason says, wait a minute. What's this Cousin-Uncle business? Who is this boy? And he goes, what's your name, son? What are you doing in my room? And he says, I'm your nephew, Clarion, Uncle Jason. This is Tico. We've come a long way, and we are hungry. And Harry yells, you hear that? He's your nephew. You're his uncle, and I'm his cousin. And he goes, how odd. The only thing I can say is that I have no living relatives, and there's no food in that kitchen. And Clarion says, but there's lots of food in there. Isn't that so, Tico? And he puts the cat down, and he opens the refrigerator, and it's packed full of food. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is full stocked. So, like, Clarion went shopping here, or he used some kind of magic to create food? Yeah, I, I figure he magicked it full. hmm And he wants to have some cereal, which is awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. The breakfast and then, of kings. And the cat starts going bananas and knocking stuff over and howling and, you know, growling, I should say. And all of a sudden, there's a really cool – it's a six-page – or six-panel page there, page 11, and the top right-hand corner. I really like that panel where it's a close-up on Clarion and Teagle.
1: Oh, yeah, sitting at the table. And then the, the next panel, Tiko is looking kind of more than just a cat there,
2: I think. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, howling here. And he goes, who? What did you say? The horrigal materializing here. And, you know, obviously he can understand this cat, which is awesome. And then he goes, I see it, Tiko. There it is. I'll form the mystic sign, the barrier it cannot cross. And he uses a a knife and fork to make like a T symbol.
1: <laughs> yep, I, I guess that's all it takes for the uh, horror goal to be put off. and he says,
2: "Huh, it's really angry." Well, I don't care. It can't force me to go back ever. And so, you know, you're kind of a slowly piecing things together here. Like, obviously, the judge Puritan guy, he's not looking for Jason. He's probably looking for Clarion here, right?
1: Uh, yeah, I would, I would start to start to think that that's the case. Yeah.
2: And he goes uh, – Jason says, stay where you are, Harry. If we show fear, that thing will. And he goes, look out, Teagle. The horrible is spouting flame. And then this flame goes right across the kitchen and burns the crap out of a table and a bunch of the, the things in the kitchen here, right?
1: Yep. Trash is the kitchen, uh, primarily focusing on the table there. Yeah, just scorched it into nothingness just about –
2: And then Harry on the next page says, this kid's a witch boy. He plays witch games with fire-throwing ghosts, some relative you've inherited, Jason. And Jason says, he calls you Cousin Harry. Don't forget that. And Clarion says, "Tikal and I like Cousin Harry, don't we, Teekle? Both he and Uncle Jason have been very understanding. And Harry says, is that so? Well, I understand enough to tell you and that cat, too. Jason interrupts him and says, don't disturb the boy. So uh, it seems like Jason's taking a bit of a a shine here to – uh, Clarion, but, uh, not, a uh, Harry.
1: <laughs> well, I, I would be starting to think at this point because Clarion uses all that, uh, uncle cousin talk that there is some relation to Merlin here. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, Jason, you know, because Jason's related to Merlin. Well, I mean, yeah, m- more or less. And, and here's a, another magic wielding we, we can assume, uh, person, cousin, Uncle, well, there must be a Merlin connection there, too. Um, you know, as, as I was reading it, that, that was kind of what I was starting to think.
2: Yeah, and he says, uh, I suspect you've come here for refuge. And he says, that's true, Uncle Jason. I feel safe here, protected, you might say. Tickle and I won't get in your way. We promise to behave every minute we are here. And he says, that's nice, Clarion, because Cousin Harry and I have to go out for a while. We won't be too late. And he says, oh, that's all right. Stay as late as you like. If I need you, I'll know where to reach you, which is an interesting statement. And Harry says, how about that? We didn't even give him the address. Come on, Jason, get dressed and let's blow.
1: (laughs) Yep. Oh, my gosh. Um, Clarion just kind of looks weird, too. Um, Not not to be too mean about it, but he he looks something more than human to me. He's very creepy, very sinister, creepy
2: looking to me, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, page 13 here, a a great Kirby splash page here, a little bit of text, and then change the face of Jason Blood And it is chapter three. And we see uh, Harry, and he goes, you've never seen anything like it. No sooner does this witch boy make his goofy spell than poof, the ghost thing barbecues the whole kitchen. And I'm thinking to myself, if I'm Jason... Do you really want Harry talking about this stuff out in the open like this? I mean, yeah, most people think he's a kook, but I, I don't know. I, I think I'd rather he just kept quiet. Just,
1: yeah, just keep that to yourself. Yeah,
2: and Randu's there, and he says, it sounds like I missed a classic encounter with witchcraft, Harry. And there's some guy here laughing, and he goes, ha, 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 you guys really break me up. What an act. Ha, ha, ha. And <laughs> we see uh uh Harry gets pissed and says, oh, yeah, well, listen, chuckles. Harry Matthews has some seen some real weird stuff going on in... And then Randu says, that's enough, Harry. He won't believe you. And then the guy says, you expect me to take you seriously? He goes, you bet we do. If you palled around with Jason Blood like Randu and I, you'd learn plenty about the super. And Randu interrupts and says supernatural. So they're trying to convince this guy, you know, that there's something supernatural. And this guy just kind of keeps laughing them off. But uh, he's going to be convinced in a second here, isn't he?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 the The song will change here in a minute.
2: Yeah, because the guy kind of questions Jason. And then Jason says, demonology is my speciality, but it also encompasses many related happenings you might find strange, Courtney. And he uh, says, ha ha, hear that, Glenda? Your date's helping his pal rib uh, Ribbid Courtney, the stock market whiz kid. And he says, Miss Mark is well enough acquainted with my research to know that I am not kidding. Say, what's wrong with you, Courtney? You're trembling. And he goes, something's got a hold of me, something I, I can't see. And he starts shaking. And then he picks up the punch bowl and dumps it over his head. And at this point, I'm thinking, what is going on with this guy? But uh, there's something uh, kind of forcing him to do it, isn't there?
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, you, you you wonder who it would be, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And Harry even says, uh, you know, Jason, I've got a hunch our little nephew Clarion did put the whammy on Sydney here. And uh, he's standing there with a stogie, by the way, looking very curvy, Harry, when he said that. Yeah, yeah. And this guy says, you you put me under Jason blood by using a cheap hypnotic trick. And he looks at him and says, no, Sid. He goes, well, you've had your fun, hotshot demonologist. If you're so clever, let's see you produce a demon. Go ahead, show us a demon. And Harry says, you're out of line, Sid. Jason's a researcher, not a magician. And then all of a sudden, Jason starts acting a little weirdly. And I'm thinking uh-oh, what's going on here? <laughs> this is, doesn't look good. Yeah, this this has got to be different from Sid. Mm-hmm. And we see, you know, in panel three on page uh, 16 there that he's starting to change into the demon, right?
1: Yeah, right in front of everybody.
2: Yeah, they uh, Randu and Harry kind of escort him off into another room, and Glenda says, Randu, Harry, what's this all about? What's wrong with Jason? And he says, nothing to worry about, Glenda. Just wait here. We'll make him comfortable in the next room. And the next thing you know, pow and the two of them come flying through there like they just got you know hit by a freight train and then we see there's a etrigan and he's jumping out of a window and down onto the sidewalk and there's you know two gentlemen down there and the one says what on earth and be careful it's some weirdo with a thing for halloween don't antagonize him (laughs) oh i love it yep and then run he looks dangerous what a face it could scare dracula and then we get a close up on the demon there and he uh, he's getting this you know kind of vibe from somewhere that says Etrigan Etrigan I need you and he thinks that call it's strong and urgent it grips and draws me to only one direction and he hops on top of a taxi cab and then he gets attacked
1: by this almost like a what would you call it a harpy or something like that maybe It isn't that what he calls it that's what he calls it yeah it's a uh... Yeah Kind of an interesting-looking harpy, but, yeah, I guess that's as close as anything that I know of to it.
2: Yeah, and it grabs him and rips him right off the top of the car, and he actually does say a harpy. It's been sent to stop me from answering the summons. And this poor cab driver goes, I must be going mad, but I still see it. Whatever it is, it grabbed that thing on top of my cab, and, you know, it doesn't take long where they're, they're fighting it out, but literally it's, you know, within five panels, you know, the demon is able to uh, overcome this uh, harpy, and get away but it's interesting he's falling and he says what and what is energy for the demon is death for the harpy ha 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 and he just laughs and he grabs onto like i don't know if that's supposed to be a chimney or something there and he gets jumped by this creepy little guy that has a hex sign he calls it and he's kind of using it to try to stop the the demon but it absolutely does nothing
1: right yeah Yeah. it, it it's kind of um an androgynous kind of creature. It kind of has aspects of male and female, I think like a witch and then some little, you know, hench mini male kind of thing. And he's, he's holding that, that wand that he's calling a hex in his hand. Um, I guess about to do some kind of magic to Etrigan, but Etrigan like tackles him before he can enact the spell, I guess.
2: Yeah. Well, they start kind of having a little bit of a fight here too. When, the creature says, The hex sign couldn't kill you. Are you Satan himself? And the demon says, No, but the demon is born of spells more powerful than the witch's hex. And we switch scenes then back to the apartment and Harry and Randu are running towards the door. And Harry says, Are you sure the demon's here, Randu? Maybe your ESP brainwaves are jammed. Um and he goes, I hate to disappoint you, Harry, but I'm getting impressions exactly from here. And they open a door, and what about this little crazy creature at the
1: door? Here? Uh, yeah, what, whatever this is that's waiting for them is is just yet another Kirby creation, monstery kind of thing. Grabs them and and throws them. Well, um, I guess it just throws one in, and then the uh, the the master hunter dude that we saw at the very beginning grabs Harry. Yeah, and he, they, they come in and the they're, they're room full of these
2: Puritan weirdos, and uh, it's this creature says, Come in, gentlemen, we need witnesses, mortal witnesses. And another one says, The ritual demands it. Now we can proceed. Or maybe that's that judge guy that's saying this. And then Harry says, It's Clarion, the witch boy. Look what they've done to him. And he's hanging upside down and he's bound. And he says, My people have finally caught up with me, cousin Harry. I tried to reach out to you at the party. I summoned the demon, but. And this judge guy says, to no avail, Clarion, we've taken measures to stop the demon. He'll not help you this time. Instead, you shall stand punishment for dabbling with spells that would give you power over the elders. You must pay for your ambition. Prepare for the ritual of the beast. And okay, so now we know full on, you know, obviously Clarion did something he wasn't supposed to do. So he ran away from his, you know, peoples and uh, they, they chased him down here. And just as this is all going on, here comes the demon in the door.
1: I'm sorry through yeah, the window <laughs> th- yeah through the window, but he's he's got that hex or the hex, mm-hmm. which i I really don't know how this works, but yeah he's he's got the hex like he's holding them off with it, yeah, and it's interesting
2: he you know says that yes, I have it, and like the last one, I shall send all of you into witch's transit, which is kind of bizarre, and he they the, the, it's like almost like the floor turns like when you're a kid, the floor's lava uh it's like turns into some kind of you know, you know, sort of a watery type material, and they all start sinking down into it, almost like it's like a, a he opened up some kind of dimensional portal, and they all sink down into it, right?
1: Right, yeah, and and I guess that's ultimately what happens because they just took two panels of it, and they just continue, you know, to sink deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Um, one of them screams out, "We're slipping back into the Beyond Country," um, and 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 I guess that's what he does. I guess he sends them back to where they came because when it's over, he says it's done. They're gone. I need the hex no longer, and he just throws it over his shoulder like a <laughs> you know like a spent match or something.
2: Yeah, and Harry says I'll get you now, kid. And he still has his stogie, and he's untying Clarion. And Randu says good work, Etrigan. And Etrigan says you practice powerful spells for so a young and occult being. You can even summon Merlin's demon. And Clarion says, and so you answered, so it shall always be. And Harry says, aren't you even going to say thanks? The demon says, a great master of spells like Clarion is beyond such gestures. Is he not, sire? And Clarion says, true faithful servant. You shall guard me here until I learn enough to conquer the elders. And then there's this crazy panel where uh, you just see uh, the, the cape of Etrigan here, almost like he's putting it over the top of Clarion and Tico. And you hear, wrong, ambitious one. Your inexperience has undone you. Ha, 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 ha. And he says, Etrigan, what are you doing? And, you know, you go to the next page, and you hear Spoff. And it says, from beneath the demon's cape, a bright light flashes where Clarion and his cat had been. And then a moment later, Harry says, they're gone. The demon's gotten rid of the kid and his cat. Randu says, no doubt he's sent them to safe, distant place where Clarion can do no harm. And then the demon says, Clarion had learned to summon me, but... He could not claim me. By doing so, he challenged the power of Great Merlin himself and lost, for part of this power is mine. And it says, don't leave. Wait for your next demon issue. We're expecting the Phantom of the Sewers. And I thought that was interesting. So I thought, you know, it still doesn't seem like the demon understands what Clarion really is all about. Just that he, you know, had some power and he tried to almost like – he says claim me for himself. But, he, I mean, he did say – my true faithful servant, so I guess he, you know, that kind of pissed him off, but it still doesn't seem like he understands what Clarion's really all about.
1: And, I, I mean, for that matter, we really don't either. Um, yeah. Clar- well, when, when he first showed up, Clarion basically said, you know, if, if you help me, I'll help you. But then by the end of this issue, Clarion uh, assumed himself in charge because he was able to to call forth the demon and, and call the demon to help him and, and things like that that happened at the end of the story, kind of like a uh, a too big for his britches kind of thing, because ultimately <laughs> the demon said, well, you know, I still have power over me through um Merlin. And mm-hmm. using that power, he, I don't know where he sent Clarion. I guess he didn't send them where the, transport spell sent the other folks cause Clarion was running from them, but he just, I sent him off somewhere. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Which is kind of a new power. I don't remember Etrigan ever doing that before. So I don't know if he had a little help from Merlin there or that's just something new we hadn't seen yet, but I don't remember him ever being able to, you know, mm. transport someone like that.
1: No, not so far,
2: but, uh, yeah. So, you know, again, if you know about Etrigan, you know, he comes back in this series and then, uh, he's, you know, a, a villain, uh, Uh, for a while there but again he's 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 definitely a villain (laughs) for sure but yeah that was a fun issue man it was like i said you know we talked for a minute before we started recording like i had completely forgotten i thought just because i know clarion is a villain and he's you know at odds with the demon and then by the cover i just completely put it out of my brain that you know he showed up here and you know he wasn't really at odds with uh, uh jason and the demon here in the beginning
1: right right yeah he um Was definitely um, looking for help or or actually he was just looking for a place to to stay. And he figured that if he was near the demon, the demon would like help him stay away from those people that were looking for him. I I don't know. I mean, he might have come to the demon specifically for help. But I, I got more the impression that it was just like, a, well, if the demon is nearby and they show up, he'll help me out. Yeah. Yeah. He was looking for somewhere to hide out. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, he'll be he'll like I said, he'll come
2: back in this series and he'll be the full on, you know, uh, evil Clarion, the witch boy that we all know and love. So I'm <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. I think that's pretty much towards the end, like one of the last couple of issues or two uh, where he comes back, if I'm not mistaken.
1: OK, cool. Yeah, I, I haven't read this in so long. I remembered Clarion showing up. But, yeah, I don't remember what. Exactly where the second time happens. And
2: then I just want to point out in the uh, letters column, demonology, by the way, great uh, letters column there. Uh, There's a letter by H.W. Wilkinson from Orlando, Florida. Interesting letter here. He says, Dear Sir, I'm writing because of an interest in your factual representation of the demon Etrigan, but I find no mention of him in the Geisha, the lesser key of Solomon. The closest name of a demon is Eligos. Would you please send me a letter telling where you gathered the information on this demonic figure? (laughs) And Steve Sherman answers, We're flattered that the demon comes so close to authentic sources of demonology, H.W., but sorry to say, Jack's primary research for this book has been about 40 years of old monster movies.
1: (laughs) I love it. Yeah, he uh, made him up.
2: Yeah, he just made it up,
1: dude. It's pretend. Well, it's funny
2: that, you know, somebody writing in a letter that is, you know, I'm assuming an adult writing in a letter like they didn't think they thought that Kirby had to have pulled this from somewhere that he couldn't just think of something like this whole cloth. And again, I don't think even to this day, Kirby is 100 percent understood and appreciated for what he did and it's twenty twenty four now and you know that letter letter was written back in nineteen seventy two probably but you know yeah Kirby could just think of this kind of stuff. That's how his brain worked. <laughs> yep. Oh uh, so fantastic. But uh yeah so that's gonna do it. You know we uh knocked two more of these out and uh, like we said we're gonna knock them out two at a time and then we're gonna have, you know, kind of an odd number at the end there. So we're gonna tie that on to another uh comic. Uh so we have another two at the end there as well. But You know, that wraps up this episode here. So, you know, why don't we uh, transition into uh, what you've got going on, Ed? So, you know, uh, as of this recording, you know, you you have all of your stuff going on. You have, you know, your Dr. Fate podcast, the comic addiction where you talk about the boom books, uh, Thor cast, Newsprint Commando, Ronin Rabbit. And then, uh, you know, by the time people hear this, you will have had a a newer show come out as well. Uh, Why don't you speak on that for a minute?
1: okay, um my wife uh collects Wonder Woman comic books, so we have you know uh like most comic collectors, several boxes of that particular book, and I'm like, you know we've read some of them and what we need to do something let's let's podcast about about something, and I got to thinking, and one of the odder times of Wonder Woman was this period in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, it only went about three, uh, three years at, at its longest. A, a time period where Wonder Woman was not Wonder Woman. She was only Diana Prince. No powers, no magic lasso, no invisible jet. Uh, but she was hanging out with a dude of, of Oriental nationality named Ching. Wow. Well, Actually, they called him I Ching, but that was, that was a mistake that nobody ever corrected. Um, so I, you know, I've, I've been fascinated and, and recently, a couple summers ago, I I sat down and read all those issues and they are, they are about as fun as 60s and 70s comic books can be. So, Mm -hmm. uh, I got together with Terry and said, Hey, why don't we, you know, why don't we talk about these books? So we started a, a, a show. It'll drop on the 21st of, of every month. And, and there, there's a particular reason for that. Uh, Wonder Woman Day is the 21st of October, I think, is, is Wonder Woman Day. So one day a year, it'll actually match up with Wonder Woman Day. The other 11 months, it's just, you know, another day in the month. So, but I, I thought the 21st was a, a decent day to drop on. It's going to be called, or actually, it is called. Uh, there should be an episode out. Um, Diana Prince, Secret Agent, and we're going to be talking about the MOD era of Wonder Woman, which is roughly the first volume of Wonder Woman from one sixty eight, one sixty nine. Starts in one sixty eight, but it really gets traction in one sixty nine. Up until two. Um, or I'm sorry, 188 and 189, and mm-hmm. it goes to about 204, 205, something like that, in her book. And then there's another eight or ten appearances of that era's Diana Prince and some other books. We may or may not cover those. I'll just see how you know how pertinent they are to to the character at the time. But uh, that's that's our new monthly show. It Be anywhere from 30 to 35 episodes total, once a month. They're looking to be about 45 minutes apiece. Uh, Diana Prince, secret agent, and that'll be me and my wife talking about Diana Prince. Yeah, really looking
2: forward to that. And yes, you are correct. October 21st is Wonder Woman Day. I just did a quick little Google search here while you were <laughs> talking about the new show, and yeah, I can't wait to hear it, man. It's a, I, I don't, I know there is another Wonder Woman podcast out there, but I, I haven't listened to it. And I'm not sure if it, it talks about modern. Or classic stuff, um, or maybe it runs the gamut, and talks about all that stuff. I am not sure, but you know, for me, if podcasts that talk about newer stuff, I'm not really keen on them because I don't really read newer stuff anymore. But when you said you were going to be doing a, a Wonder Woman uh, podcast and it was going to cover Bronze Age stuff, I was like, oh, I'm so there. And I will also say, anybody that has the DC Infinite app, all of those books are on the app because you know, immediately when you told me about it, I rushed right over there and checked out the very first uh, comic. And uh, I, I'm really interested in because I know there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of things written about that era of Wonder Woman. I know right. you know there's been you know, there was a, a big uproar by a lot of feminists during that era because, you know, they DC kind of took her, you know, her powers and strength and everything away from her that was kind of like, you know, for lack of a better uh, equation here, Superman level kind of stuff and just made her a, you know, a, a spy and a kung fu fighter and all that stuff. But I don't know. That sounds fun to me. So. I can't wait to dive in and listen to your show, and then read along as well. Like I said, anybody wants to read along, get the app. If you don't have it, it's not that bad. You can usually get a decent deal on it. And uh, All the books are on there, unless hey, unless you have uh, hard copies. And hey, good for you.
1: Oh yeah, we, which that's you know we we're fortunate that we have uh, we actually have all the hard copies of that era, so it's kind of a a good excuse to pull those out. Um, I also for those of you it's it's getting a little pricey now because it's a little harder to find, but that whole era is in an omnibus entitled mm. Wonder Woman uh Diana Prince celebrating the sixties omnibus and and that's what the book is is that that mod era of her title with some other appearances thrown in as well and uh we have a copy of that that that's what I'll be reading from. I'll, I'll let the the princess there in the in the living room read from the actual comic books, <laughs> so that if anything happens to those comic books, she did it and I didn't do it because they're a bit they're, they're they're in rougher shape as far as the collection goes. But yeah, it, it's cool to. uh One thing that I enjoy in particular is talking about the ads in those books, which I know has nothing to do with with you know comic book and comic book story. Uh, but it, it just so gives you the, 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 um, the understanding of what the era was like. You know, what the real world was like when those books were coming out and those, those ads for both other DC books and then just other stuff in general is just so much fun. Um, we are, sh- Terry is, um, how, how can I put this nicely? She, will be able to remember a little bit more of her time during the years that the books came out than I will because of mm. um, age, age differences just between us. Uh, so, um, you know, there there are aspects of the the additional materials, the ads and things like that, that we, we can both remember uh, as those things were coming out. So that's that's been a lot of fun to to talk about, too. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Anytime you can uh, go
2: back to something where you, you know, either were buying it off the stands when it came out or even just something from your youth that, you know, maybe was a little bit had it been out for a few short years or whatever. I I love that kind of stuff when people have that touchstone, touchstone, I should say, uh, uh, books and stuff like that. I love that. I feel like it makes podcasts even better when people have that connection.
1: Yeah, I I agree. There's a there's a, a level of personal to it that you know just well. Just reading the stuff today, you don't necessarily have because we're already adults and we are you know married and have kids and mortgages and jobs and all that, and we're just reading comic books and talking about them. Uh, it's a little different when you were six, eight, ten, twelve buying these things, and and that's what you remember. So yeah. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. One th- there's an episode out and um we're probably recorded we've recorded another two or three so far and yeah, they've they've been a whole lot of fun. Oh,
2: that's fantastic. So yeah, everybody get out there and definitely check that out. And I will have all this stuff in the show notes as well. So uh you can just go right there if uh, you know you forgot to you know jot down the name or didn't hear it or whatever, you know, go right to the show notes. Everything will be in there. As well as, uh, you know, your social media. So, at Teal Productions is the best way to find you on social media, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, on, uh, well, on X and on, well, X and Blue Sky and Facebook, which are pretty much the only places that I am. Teal Productions on all three.
2: Yep, and you're very active on there. So, if anybody wants to see your stuff, it all comes out under that one banner. Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah, look for this uh, new great Wonder Woman show. Really looking forward to it myself. But, uh, all right, that's going to get us out of here, Ed, then. I want to thank you once again, man, for uh, being on here. This is great. Really looking forward to finishing off this uh, journey with uh, Kirby's Demon.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you.
2: All righty. Well, that's going to get us out of here, and we will uh, be back uh, in short order with uh, two more issues in the next episode, and uh, I will be back in a minute after a quick break to wrap things up.
0: Everybody that wraps up this episode. Once again, I want to thank Ed for being on the show. Love having Ed on and hey, definitely get out there and check out his new podcast with his wife Terry about Wonder Woman. Uh sounds really great, really cool. You know, by the time you hear this, the first episode will be out and look for it on the 21st of every month. So, definitely check that out. Uh you know, you can always find all of his things uh, at Teal Productions no matter what social media you're on, just always look for Teal Productions. That's where you'll find Ed and everything he does. So, thanks for listening everybody.